Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Hi, this is Steve. So 2016 has been a tough year for the entertainment world. It seemed like every week we were saying goodbye to another amazing talent. These were the people who in one way or another shaped who we are and who we wanted to be. And the final knockout blow to a crappy year was the one-two punch of Carrie Fisher and her mother, Debbie Reynolds. Now, we plan on talking in-depth about Carrie Fisher in an upcoming podcast, but after the year we've had... I. I, for one, needed something to smile about, and I can't think of another movie that makes me smile more than the 1952 MGM classic Singing in the Rain, directed by Gene Kelly and Stanley Donnan, and starring Kelly, Donald O'Connor, and, of course, Debbie Reynolds in the film that made her a star. Now, if you haven't seen it yet, give yourself a treat. Not only is it filled with some of the best dancing in movie history, but it's also a film about Hollywood and that moment of transition between the silent era and the talkies. It's a lot of fun. Now there's a nice Blu-ray with some decent bonus materials, or you can rent it on iTunes. So do yourself a favor and watch Singing in the Rain this week, then tune in on Friday to hear John and I, along with our very special guest, Broadway singer, actress, and dancer, Milena Govich, to sing its praises. That's Demi Reynolds and Singing in the Rain this Friday on The Cinephiles. Welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film. We explore its themes, the history, the filmmaking, and the influence it has on us today. Uh, my name is Steve Morris. I'm a directing instructor and filmmaker in Los Angeles, California. Happy New Year, everybody. I, I don't know how many weeks you are out of that one, but I'm going to say that now. It's always uh, nice to say Happy right? New Year. I think we're still in, the, in that area that I can. Uh, hi, I'm John Roca. Uh, I'm a voiceover artist, uh, host of numerous shows here in LA, and an occasional actor as well. And uh, we're very happy to welcome Milena Govich, who is a Broadway actress, singer, dancer, and you might have seen her on Law & Order, on Finding Carter, and Rescue Me. Uh, Milena, welcome to The Cinephiles. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we're really happy to have you, and we're particularly happy to have you today because we're going to talk about musicals. I love musicals! <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and unfortunately, there's sort of a sad way that we got into this, which is, yeah. look, as everyone knows, 2016 was rough. Really rough. It was, it was a very difficult Brutal. Year. Yeah. Yeah. Brutal. And we could go on and on and on about the actors and writers and singers and dancers and important people in our lives that we've lost. And it seemed like the the knockout blow at the end of the year was in two days losing Carrie Fisher and the day after her mom, Debbie Reynolds. And it was just beautiful and brutal and shocking. And it was completely heartbreaking. Yeah. It really was. And and. We might get into talking about Carrie Fisher a little later on mm -hmm. a different episode of The Cinephiles, yeah. but, but today we really wanted to talk about Debbie Reynolds, and, and it gives us an opportunity, for as sad as 2016 was, 
to have one of what I think might be the most joyous movie I can think about, think of, which is Singing in the Rain. And especially her performance, too. I mean, she's just living. (laughs) Absolutely. She is 100% joyful and bubbling and charismatic. And and it's also, Singing in the Rain is my favorite dance movie, Mm. by far. But, dance movie, you say? Yeah. Not musical. Well, just, just in terms of, li- I literally have, uh, a part of it is that I teach them, but also mm. I will pull up on YouTube, make them laugh, or Moses Supposes, mm. anytime I've shown them to my kid over mm. and over and over again, good morning, yeah. singing in the rain, they're just, and nothing, they just make me smile. Yeah. And, and I wanted to ask you, because we have, when, when did you start dancing, Melina? Um, I was basically dancing out of the womb. <laughs> <laughs> it seems very slippery. Oh uh, yeah, well, you know, how <laughs> you get good core strength and balance. <laughs> I guess so. Um, that's gross. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I started training when I was about 5 or 6 years old, um, and I trained classical ballet my whole life, uh, essentially. Um, hmm. I missed most pop culture of the 80s and 90s because I was in a dance studio 25 hours a week after school. Um, I love dance and I knew I was never going to be a ballerina because I at 5'8 am the tiniest person in my family. Uh, Mm. But on Broadway, they love tall girls who have curves and also have classical dance training. So that's where I found my niche dance-wise. And what, what was your first show on Broadway? My first show was Cabaret at Studio 54, oh, nice. directed by Sam Mendes and Rob Marshall. Wow. Nice. Yeah, that's also how I got my equity card. It's a pretty... Uh... <laughs> wow, way to go. It's a pretty lucky story. Yeah. yeah. And you're doing Fosse dancing then. Well, it was Rob Marshall's choreography. However, it was steeped in the Fosse world. Yeah. I mean, you can't do Cabaret without paying homage to Bob Fosse. Yeah. So it, was a little, it wasn't the original choreography, but it was very similar. Very down, raw harsh which was actually hard for me as a trained ballet dancer because everything is lifted and very graceful Mm -hmm. and now i'm being asked to dance with my crotch (laughs) (laughs) so that 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 was a that was a great learning experience for me and was that the first time you'd had to make a transition like that or had you had you done other styles i'd done other styles but this this was a really specific style it was um yeah. yeah and very um uh, specific to the show itself and the the time period it was taking place in and the heaviness of the subject matter. So that was that was different for me. So and while you were missing all of the pop culture going on when you were a kid, <laughs> did you miss Singing in the Rain too? When did you oh, see no. it? Oh no, oh no, no. Singing in the Rain was playing in my house whenever it would come on the um in Oklahoma the um public station was OETA and they would play old movies especially on the weekends. And my parents always had them on. Yeah. And so I, I saw it many times. Probably it was longer before I actually saw the whole movie start to finish. Right. <laughs> but yeah, very familiar with it growing up. And what about you? Do you remember when you first saw it? Yeah, I'm sure I saw it as a child on PBS or something. I remember just, I, I became a massive Gene Kelly fan as a child. Like just massive. Like everything yeah. he did. I watched and and as I got older and I was able to have access to stuff that wasn't showing popularly all the time, I would like uh, it's always fair weather, the pirate, you know, take me out to the ball game, 
all these things. I, I'm like behind Orson Welles, Gene Kelly is my second favorite really? actor, wow. celebrity, entertainer, period. It just, there was something about what his. What a weird combo. It, it is because his, I, for whatever reason I had, I, I am a frustrated music, song and dance man, which means I, I didn't, never had the training and I don't have the voice. But if I could, if I had Melinda's talents, Melinda's abilities, I would be, I would have done this till I was dead. I would have yeah. been a musical theater actor uh, touring till I was dead because it's just something I love to do and I don't have the skill or ability to do it. Right. So he, I could live out my dreams through Gene Kelly and because his dance was something I could connect to, Fred Astaire not so much. Fred Astaire is fantastic, but it's, all, it's very elevated dancing. They're very, very soft shoe. Yeah. Soft shoe. Whereas Kelly to me was always uh, blood and guts. It was barbed wire and broken glass. It was down in there. It was more grunty and so I could relate to it more. The moves were more powerful, more dazzling. And so to me that was what really stood out and his characters were never like these high evolutionary characters. There were these always down on their luck, doesn't have a lot of money, especially with Singing in the Rain. He, he is a, a stuntman. He's a stuntman. He grew up poor, which we see in the beginning, like all this kind of stuff. So there was a lot of what Kelly did with his characters that really I, I gravitated to. And so I would enjoy the music and the dance through connecting to the character and then going from there and enjoying the movie. And Singing in the Rain, I remember seeing as a child with my mom and dad. Uh, and then just would see it all the time because there's such a joy in that dancing in the rain, singing in the rain particular oh, yeah. number mm-hmm. that for me as a kid was like, oh, my eyes were like wide open to see something like that and was like, oh my God. And it became one of my favorite musicals ever. It's strange. This might sound very, very strange, but the way I first came to dance and loving dance, I, I fell in love with that almost exactly the same time I fell in love with martial arts mm. and martial arts movies. Oh, that makes sense. And yeah. it was the, yeah. for me, there this, it was the same. So I watched, you know, Enter the Dragon the first time I was nine, and I probably saw Singing in the Rain and my first Fred Astaire and, you know, Holiday Inn and all those films probably right around the same time. And there's something about the elegance and the beauty of the human body in movement mm. that I just love. I think Gene Kelly would have loved to have heard you say that, mm. given his... His reverence for athleticism right. and dance at the same time. I think he'd be thrilled to hear that. Yeah. Well, and he, he wanted to, I mean, one of his big things was to, he wanted dance to be masculine. Mm-hmm. You right. know, and he said that, he said that quite a lot. And he, you can see in the way that he moves. And it's interesting too, when you think about the great male dancers and you think of Fred Astaire and you think of Gene Kelly, or you think of the Nicholas brothers who mm. are just off oh, the charts yeah. amazing. Yeah. Or you think of Gregory Hines or Barishnikov and mm-hmm. every, Every or Sammy Davis Jr. and every single one of them, they move like they move. Yeah, they don't yeah. move like anybody. Or Savion Glover or all of mm-hmm. them are just that guy moves like that. Yeah, and and you could see Gene Kelly's style of movement, and I think maybe because of martial arts that he he was my guy too. Well, yeah. I think all of that was really intentional for yeah. Gene Kelly. Mm-hmm. You know, he he didn't want to be the the regal, elegant Fred Astaire. Right. He really wanted um, his dance and his movement to translate more to the everyman mm-hmm. to so that you could sit and watch it and go I could do that or I relate to what this character is going through right. not only through the story and the dialogue but also through the physical movement and I love the fact that his shirt sleeves are always rolled up yeah. right. you know <laughs> he's still in his white pants and his you know his preppy vest but yeah. the shirt sleeves are up and so you know you're connecting to him in a different way than you would have someone like Fred Astaire yeah, uh, absolutely. And he said he, he he said that if he tried to put on a tuxedo and dance like Fred Astaire, he'd look like the you know the plumber had snuck in. <laughs> um, that and, and it very much comes from his his background. He grew yeah. up in Pittsburgh, um, and he his parents 
uh, pushed him to dance at a young age along with his brother. And uh, he really resisted. He didn't want to do it. And he was getting beat up at school and called names that I'm not going to go into what those names were. But he really resented it. He wanted to play baseball. He quit dance. He played baseball. He went, I'm going to go be a, a baseball player. And he was apparently, you know, I mean, the guy's obviously gifted yeah. in movement in every single I'd way. I'd put him at shortstop. No, yeah. no question. Um, but then he keeps coming back to dance. And in high school, he starts coming back more and more. And his family opens up a dance school. Mm-hmm. Um, and he becomes a dance instructor and begins uh, doing choreography at high school. And goes to college. Then he goes to law school, which I didn't actually know until I was just reading up on him. And, uh, and But in law school, and he did sort of his first theatrical productions while in college. And... In law school, he keeps getting pulled back to dance. And after a few months of law school, he drops out and decides, no, no, I'm going to be a dancer. And what's so interesting to me about him is there are all sorts of choreographers who began as dancers. That's very normal. That's obviously the path. Gene Kelly was a choreographer from the beginning, from high school and college. And right after, he was teaching dance and doing choreography and was sought after as much for those things as he was for being a performer himself. Mm -hmm. And in his very early 20s, he goes, okay, I'm going to go to New York. I'm going to go to Broadway. And he goes and nothing. And it's a complete failure and he goes back to pittsburgh and uh and it's back in pittsburgh where he starts to really build up this reputation as a choreographer becomes sort of bigger and bigger then returns to new york a second time and this is the time that it hits mm-hmm. and the, the big one i think for him is pal joey um and that's where he really starts to and it's he's choreographing over here and he's dancing over here and sometimes he's dancing for in other people's choreography sometimes is in his own comes to Hollywood and again it's a little bit of a struggle in the early mm-hmm. uh, in the early 40s for him uh, he doesn't enlist in the military in World War II as a lot of actors he did at that Navy. time yep. he was in the mm-hmm. Navy and comes back and it's really with those Frank Sinatra movies uh, Anchors Away yeah. On the Town um, those are the ones that really he starts to hit and uh, and that's when his, his choreography and his own style starts to emerge well he's also challenged right because Frank wasn't a dancer he had to teach Frank how to dance you know he had to teach him how to move and he had he had to adjust his choreography. Right, you had to, to find fit. a way to make it work. Exactly, and because Frank was, his, you could argue, was his big, was bigger star than than Gene was. So Gene had to kind of make that work in their films. And On the Town is one of my absolute favorite films. I own it in every possible version it's ever been in, from beta so to to uh, high end Blu-ray. I've owned it because it's just so so much fun and so joyful. And the songs don't get enough love. The songs are so good in On the Town, and nobody gives them enough love. Uh, and the same thing with Take Me Out to the Ballgame. There's some great songs in, that, in, that, in those musicals that don't get as much love as Singing in the Rain or West Side Story, other musicals that, that you hear songs from. And, and On the Town is really important because it's the first musical shot on location in, yes, New, York. in New York. It really ca- brings musicals out of kind of the backlot way that they had been shot in the past. And we have to remember that this is in the height of the studio era. Right. This is the height of the MGM musical. He's mostly working at MGM, and we'll talk about it a bunch in, the, in, in throughout this film. But MGM is a, it, the way they made movies then is completely different from how we made movies now. And there's a lot, a lot of things that are bad about the studio system. And there's a lot of things I really miss about it. <laughs> so let's get let's get into Singing in the Rain. Let's do. Um, so the, uh, the the origin story. This is sort of strange because w- the way musicals happen from the fifties on, like post Rodgers and Hammerstein, is that we we create all the songs for the musical. Everything is within the characters, and it's not how this movie gets made. No, this was this is one of the premier jukebox musicals yeah. that there ever was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
All these songs already existed. Yeah. It's Arthur Freed, who's the producer, who was kind of ran his own sort of mini group at MGM. And he said, I've got all these songs. Let's do something to them. And that's how the movie gets made. Well, it's great when you go back and watch these documentaries. Like, that's entertainment. There was one, mm-hmm. two, and three. Like, when you watch one and two, there are... You see the songs that are in Singing in the Rain when they were originally done in the 20s and 30s, the numbers that were right. done, like the Busby Berkeley type stuff, which is one of the things I enjoy about the movie. The movie has such reverence for old Hollywood and the old Absolutely. Hollywood musicals. And yet it's still poking fun at the same time. Exactly. It's incredibly subversive. If we're watching it this time, it's incredibly subversive and making fun of itself yes. and Hollywood itself. And all of it could apply to 2016. No, 2017. All of it could apply from the woman ignoring Donald O'Connor when he shows up to, because the bigger star is coming, to the the, uh, crap profiles that they create to make it seem like the star is humbly (laughs) arriving when you know the truth behind the story. There's just so much there. Well, that that opening sequence is so great and so, just as you say, so subversive because we have this... Gene Kelly, you know, Don Lockwood is going to tell his story yeah. and he's telling it in this completely fake <laughs> way and he keeps saying, oh, it's always dignity. Well, Dora, I've had one motto which I've always lived by. Dignity. Always dignity. This was instilled in me by mom and dad from the very beginning. They sent me to the finest schools, including dancing school. That's where I first met Cosmo. And with him, I used to perform for all of mom and dad's society friends. And yeah. then you get to see the reality behind that. Yeah. And it's perfect juxtaposition. And it's perfect destruction of everything he's saying. You know, like, all of this is a lie. Yeah. Yeah. And he's well, all, and all white, which I love. Well, yeah. The idea that he's in all white, which means he's pure and innocent when, in fact, he's lying. There's all and of it's, it And it's a fabulous idea. I mean, I... I don't know exactly, but from what I know, Comden and Green came up with this concept mm. of for the book of the show right. to be a satire. And since all the music was actually written uh, during the time period of the Busby Berkeley and all of that, it worked perfectly for this kind of story. So it was a really smart adaptation of the existing material. Well, and they're, and, and to some degree, they're sending up older Hollywood, which yeah. maybe gives them a little liberty. Right. You know, they're not setting right. up 1952 Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And we should say, too, by the way, this is coming right after, one year after American in Paris. So Gene Kelly has just done the what was up to that time the biggest movie of his career. It's in terms of awards, the yeah. most successful movie of his mm-hmm. career. Mm-hmm. And it is a, it's not that uh, American Paris is heavy, but compared to Singing in the Rain, it's a more like we're doing a ser- more serious thing. That's why, sure. that's why it's my favorite. Of his American, American Paris, Paris is oh, absolutely the ballet itself is so powerful, and yeah. there's so much in that film that is dark and and sad and difficult yeah. and painful through the whole thing. It's unrequited love through the whole uh, yeah. film. Mm-hmm. This is more happy, playful, bouncy discovery. These kinds of things, mis miscommunication, but but American in Paris is, is and it's why one best picture it is. It's a darker, more serious musical. This is why I like uh, Singing in the Rain better, because I'm a more happy, bouncy (laughs) person than you, and you are more serious. Uh, Okay. I accept that. (laughs) I will accept that. I don't know what is ever described as happy or bouncy. (laughs) We're all laughing at that comment for a reason. Um, uh, And yeah, so it's all these songs pulled from other places, and we are right at the end of the silent era. And 
as a guy who loves film history, I'm literally teaching film school today, mm. and the subject came up of the difference between Cinemascope and Cinerama, oh, and nice. why. Uh-huh. And I just wanted to started talking, and they kept asking me questions. So got got in this whole lecture of how we went from silent to sound and different kinds of perforations on film edges and all these kind of geeky things that I really love. Mm-hmm. And so it's so fun to watch this moment in the silent era. Yeah. And while this is a completely silly movie pretty accurate too yeah Yeah. you know like there's the scene where they're filming multiple silent films right next to each other and different directors that's how they did it because that's how you could do that in a silent film and it looks ridiculous in this day and age totally ridiculous yeah Yeah. but that's what it was and the style of acting that we have which is this sort of big broad Mm -hmm. acting with text and these very huge romantic movies that that was for real too And and, and that's a good segue I think into Debbie Reynolds because I mean that's what she does in that car is essentially making fun of everything that Don Lockwood what you're talking about the pantomime acting the whole thing that she's that that's going on there in the car and you see that and it's so funny because she's not wrong oh thank you oh no offense movies are entertaining enough for the masses but the personalities on the screen just don't impress me I mean they don't talk they don't act they just make a lot of dumb show you mean like what I do well, yes. Here we are, sunset in Camden. Because she's not <laughs> exactly. wrong. For that time in that era, when you go back and watch those silent films, you see it's a lot of a lot of big faces and a big movements and that have you. And I will subtitle the moment where you didn't hear anything because Roka did some beautiful silent movie making. It's um, very impressive. What, Thank what, you. What's particularly funny too with, with Debbie Reynolds in that scene. Yeah. So so uh, Don Lockwood, Gene Kelly's character, has just gone from his hugely successful premiere. He runs away from his fans, climbing up on a car, on a bus. And by the way. Does his own stunt? Gene Kelly would have made a great action star. Absolutely. I I would argue that he is an action star. Sure, uh, I agree. <laughs> but I would, what, let me put it differently. I wish he was around today and we could put him in a great action. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Huge. Yeah. Can you imagine him in a, in a, in a big superhero movie? That would be think amazing. This, I, was just saying, I always think that's one of the crimes that he never got a chance to do as much out of musicals as he could have, as in as he should have, you know, you see it inherit the wind. He has a yeah. part in that, but like it would have, it would have been awesome to see him in an action film to do these kinds of movements and right. what could work, you know, whatever. And he drops into Debbie Reynolds' yeah. car. She doesn't recognize him at first, that she does, and then she plays very sort of snooty, looking down on him, which is, as you say, really funny, and then doubly funny because we find out she's a big fan, and only after. Much later, he comes yeah. on to her. That's yeah. when she becomes. You're right. You're right. Yeah, much She's later. Nice to him until he takes advantage of her. He tries to take advantage of her. Then she fights back and, as she should. And by the way, how who who is he that who does he become when he comes on to her? Oh, he starts to put on the persona, the Hollywood, yeah, yeah. Right. The, the, the lie, guy. <laughs> exactly the same full of it guy that we saw at the beginning exactly. of the thing. Well, we movie stars get the glory. I guess we have to take the little heartaches that go with it. People think we lead lives of glamour and romance, but we're really lonely. Terribly lonely. And that is why, of course, she should reject him because, mm-hmm. and that's not who he is. Right. Right. Um, we, we get to uh, this big premiere party, and in comes the, the cake, and out of the cake, who should <laughs> pop out? But very cute Debbie Reynolds. That is one of my favorite screenshots of her ever, is coming out of that cake. I mean... You can't buy that kind of effervescence and joy and pureness of spirit. I mean, she just leaps off 
the screen. Yeah. Well, and let, let's talk, let's talk a little bit about Debbie Reynolds, who you know this is the whole reason we did this. Is sadly we lost her just a few weeks ago. You know, she she comes from Texas. She uh, moves to Burbank. Her family is working class, fairly very religious. They are. She lives in a very kind of controlled upbringing. She's a Girl Scout. She's a gymnast. She becomes Miss Burbank. Mm. Uh, she's a beautiful singing voice. Uh, and she gets hired by MGM. Uh, she's in one movie where she does pretty well. And then Louis B. Mayer tells Gene Kelly, this is going to be your co-star in Singing the Rain. Right. Gene Kelly says she has no dance experience, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. she didn't. No, zero dance experience. And Louis B. Mayer repeats, <laughs> this is going to be your co-star in Singing the Rain. And then... Debbie Reynolds has to learn how to dance. Yeah, it's it's a monumental undertaking for her, and but fortunately, with her gymnastics background, you know, she was coordinated. She yeah. knew how to pick up a routine and and all of that. And so she had good body awareness. And yeah, um, <laughs> but can you you who started doing ballet at five? Yeah, if but someone... you know what? I didn't come to tap dance till much much later. I mm. didn't start studying tap till I was in college. So I was actually probably the same age as Debbie Reynolds when I started tap dancing. And could you in six months have picked up uh, Good Morning? And um, she was is doing really difficult. Steps really? up and down the stairs. Oh, and, and to to keep pace with Gene Kelly and Donald O'Connor, I'm that is not nothing. Yeah, what she accomplished uh, in those num two numbers in particular was phenomenal, mm. and she is toe to toe with those guys. So Absolutely, to speak. and and also she got even in the the more balletic number. Um, we you, were you were you meant, meant for me. me. Yeah. You were meant for me. She does a beautiful job, yeah. and that can some of that upper body work can be just as difficult as all the intricate right. footwork yeah. because you have to look effortless. And that's one thing I love about Gene Kelly is because no matter what he's doing, it's the most athletic dancing you've ever seen. Mm -hmm. But he looks he's floating, yeah. and he's he's delivering an emotional performance on top of it. It's you never feel like he's jerking around or anything. So mm -hmm. he he was able to teach her that and. From what I know of Debbie Reynolds, that whole experience shaped her mm -hmm. and it taught her the kind of work ethic that kept her performing <laughs> right up until, up until the basically end. the day she died. I mean, yeah. she was still going to Vegas every mm -hmm. year and, you know, well into her 80s. Yeah. And, well, you and, know, what, and what she did at that time is, you know, six months where she moved into the studio. Yes. She put a She's cot. 19. She's 19. 19, 19 yeah. years mm -hmm. old. She puts a cot in her dressing room. She lives there the whole time. Her feet are regularly bleeding. Yeah. And there's one story I heard. Uh, spoiler, that's not unusual for dancers. Just <laughs> right. <laughs> I can't, yeah. yeah. I can't imagine. Because when my feet stop, start bleeding, I sit down. <laughs> I like, well, well, there's the difference, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's why I never... Dancers are tough. They're tough. Yeah. yeah. Super tough. And this is something... I remember I was watching... I, I was watching So You Think You Can Dance, and they had some... And I'm sure this was kind of BS a little bit, but they had some people come in with all sorts of body measurement metric things mm -hmm. to test where dancers were on the scale of athletes. And of course, it was off the charts. Yeah, you know, heart yeah. in terms of heart rate, endurance, flexibility, oxygen in the lungs. You know, all you know, strength, speed. Yeah. Well, again, you know. it's you're asking these people to do the most athletic thing they can possibly do, and also make it look effortless. Right. There's no like huffing and puffing at the end, or grinching up your face to lift the heaviest thing. I mean, you you could be 
a male dancer lifting your female partner yeah. <laughs> may not be the lightest right. feather, <laughs> but you got to make it look effortless, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's a moment and, 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 you know, Debbie Reynolds in those six months had to get to that point where she could hold her own with those people. And there's one moment that she says where she was crying under a piano one day alone in the studio and who walks in, but Fred Astaire. Oh, wow. And Fred Astaire finds her and basically says something like, the only way to be a great dancer is through great pain. That's true. Hmm. <laughs> true, true. My ballet teacher used to say, if it doesn't hurt, you're not doing it right. Wow. Yeah. And, and it's funny for this thing, you know, for those of you who maybe you didn't grow up doing taking dance classes, yeah. maybe you haven't met dancers, is that the impression that they give on the stage of grace and effortlessness and joy and lightness is nothing to do with what it takes to get there. Yeah. Just Google ballerina feet. That's <laughs> awful. <laughs> Should we put a warning on <laughs> <Anyway>. that? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe don't actually do that. I don't know what's going to come up exactly, but <laughs> what's interesting is they, they have a high tolerance for pain and don't like to be fussed over. Like that's the thing I've discovered in my uh, interactions with dancers the natural, when they're in pain, the natural desire to help or fix is not welcomed because they there's a badge of honor in the toughness, in the feet, in the pain, in the bleeding, in whatever it is that they earn through the work that they're doing to, to achieve what they want to achieve. And they don't want to be fussed over about it. Well, the last it's thing accepted. you want is for someone to watch your performance and go, wow, you are you okay? Yeah, <laughs> right. No, it's the, it's the opposite of, yeah. of what you want to come off in a performance. Yeah. And yeah, it's training, it's hard work, it's endurance. Boy, the endurance levels. I mean, if you think about these dance numbers, it's not like, oh, well, we learned the dance, let's do the dance, and now go to lunch. Yeah. I mean, take after take, something like 40 takes of um, of the good morning number. I, I There's a story about them doing the end of that where they tip over the couches mm -hmm. and just getting that right. It took forever to get yeah. the timing right, and all three of them just going over at exactly the same moment talk about athleticism mm -hmm. yeah, unbelievable so uh we meet kathy selden and we see her do this all i do is dream of you all i do is dream of you the whole night through with the dawn still go on dreaming of you you're every thought you're everything you're every song i ever sing summer winter autumn and spring and it is so bright and cute and she has to do again really interesting acting which is be a hundred percent in the dance number and also be embarrassed to have been discovered by don lockwood in this lie yes mm -hmm. uh and which culminates of course in him trying to talk to her because he really likes her at yeah. this point and she tries to throw some cake in her his face and hits uh someone we have not spoken about yet which is uh lena lamont played by gene hagen. hagen and she is amazing a little joy into your humdrum life. It makes us feel as though our hard work ain't been in vain for nothing. So good. Oh, she's fantastic. She's perfect in this part. Right. Especially yeah. because she doesn't speak that way. Yeah. No. So she has to put that on to play that part. And what's fantastic is when I was watching it this time around, I thought, oh, could you look at this as a misogynistic film because they're kind of putting her down? But no, no, no. She has her way of forcing her power or pushing her power throughout the film so that although they are making fun of her and they do come after her, she has these 
street smarts that she uses in certain moments to achieve and maintain her status mm-hmm. and fight for her status in, in Hollywood. Well, yeah, exactly. And I mean, she's she's using the skills and the tools that she has to do it. Yeah. And, you know, as, as as an actress, I, you know, there are moments in the movie where you're like, oh, God, please. But um, <laughs> but at the same time, it's it, you have to ask your, yourself the question, what is this character willing to risk to hang on to her career? Right. You know, and in a hypothetical world, what would Lena Lamont do mm-hmm. after this? You know, she's kind of got no other choice. Right. Well, and this is a real thing. So we're in this moment. It's the end of the silent era. Yeah. And there was a lot of casualties at the end of the silent sure. era. Sure. In, in ter- including how films were made. So one of the really interesting things is that silent films really reached a peak in the late 20s. And the techniques were really sophisticated in terms of the filmmaking. We might have made fun of some of the acting earlier, but there's some gorgeous, amazing silent films made in this era. And as soon as you introduce sound, because that's what happens in Singing in the Rain, is that all of that sophistication has to go away because now in order to do sound recording, you can't have these camera moves because they didn't have the equipment to do it. You had to have these big booths to record sound and everything had to get locked down. And so the the technique of filmmaking went back about 10 years mm-hmm. when we introduced mm-hmm. sound. And then you have all these actors who might have been fantastic silent actors. Uh, but some of them couldn't even speak English well, you know, and so they had to go away. They mm-hmm. they they were lost, and that's what mm-hmm. Lena Lamont is facing at this point in the movie. Yeah, I I actually have empathy for her, mm-hmm. you know, in that regard. I, I a little. <laughs> She's a really bad person. She maybe goes about it the wrong way. <laughs> She's not nice. I mean, she clearly wants to destroy Kathy Selden for the incident with the cake, right? Um, and uh, but not just for that, but because she feels the challenge. She's threatened. She's threatened. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and Don Lockwood, Gene Kelly's character, is desperately looking for her mm-hmm. and really sad. And who's going to come make him feel a little bit better <laughs> but his good friend, Donald O'Connor? Cosmo. <gasps> short people have long faces, and long people have short faces. Big people have little humor, and little people have no humor at all. <laughs> and in the words of that immortal bard, Samuel J. Snodgrass, as he was about to be led to the guillotine... Make them laugh, make them laugh. Don't you know everyone wants to laugh? <laughs> my dad said, Be an actor, my son. But be a comical one, they'll be standing in lines for those old honky tonk monkey shines. Or you could study Shakespeare and be quite elite. And you could charm the critics and have nothing to eat. Just slip on a banana peel, the world's at your feet. Make them laugh, make them laugh, make them laugh. This is my favorite Donald O'Connor performance, bar none. Oh, oh yeah. for sure. Just so amazing and so much fun. And you, you, get that, you get that understanding why he never became a lead, even though he's probably technically a better dancer than almost anyone that's ever been on screen mm-hmm. but he doesn't have quite that gravitas to be a lead well, he's, but he he's does great, great work as a second yeah but yeah, there's exactly. there's nobody that can do what he does better yep that just barnum i dare any professional <laughs> athlete anywhere on this planet to try to do make him laugh like donald o'connor yeah. my god that is one of the most genius numbers on on screen i think ever for a solo guy and i mean and he does he does everything yeah he does everything and i don't know two-thirds of the way through the number i don't know how he's still getting up off the floor yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 he know? literally seems like i'm going to destroy myself for your amusement yeah. just beating himself to <laughs> yeah. pieces and the athleticism and the intensity and the 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 yeah, it's amazing what he does in that number. Yeah. And 
he runs up a wall for yeah. God's sake. It gets really, I've watched that a lot. He gets I see a lot of guys do flips off walls. He gets really high. <laughs> yeah. He's like three steps up. No, I yeah, mean, if you look amazing. if you just look where his last footfall is and then yeah. where his head is once he lands again, yeah. I mean it's it's unbelievable. Yeah. And not only not only the athleticism and all the tricks, but the timing. Oh, his yeah. comedic timing is so spot on. Yeah. Um, the the part in the number where his face is all crooked and I, he's it's just boom boom amazing. boom on a dime. It's so clean and so funny, um, but it doesn't feel anticipated. At the same time, it really feels like it's organically coming from him and his clown persona. Mm-hmm. As as someone who also has coached a lot of young musical theater performers, and it's not something you can teach. Mm. Either you've got it or you don't. It's just got to be innate, and he has it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, and just let me also say, one of the most difficult things to do is to get a trained dancer to dance badly. Just like a trained singer right. to sing badly. Right. His training is clearly impeccable based on the rest of the movie yeah. but to do those silly pratfalls and to uh, make it look real yeah. and to, yeah, is to be really off difficult. balance and yeah. awkward and on the wrong foot and yeah. Yeah. and then not injure yourself doing it right that's incredibly and, difficult and avoid the wood and jump through the wall and all these things and climb out i mean all of it is just it, it, it was a show it was like we will i will take the part but I need one number where I can show everything that I can do because you're not going to let me do it because well, Gene is the star. And that is a perfect exchange that you can make for that. And from what I know, that was um, Gene Kelly was a big champion of this idea of oh, giving him a big showcase number yeah, yeah. Um, because he is so talented mm-hmm. and you know they were very good friends. And they really went through the vaudeville canon yeah. <laughs> to create right. this number. All the shtick that he had ever done as a child star, as a child <laughs> dancer – whatever worked at one point in time, let's figure out a way to kitchen sink it into this number. Yeah. Well, and that's sort of what this film is a lot, is that we get a lot of kitchen sinking. I like that expression. <laughs> yeah. You know, of, of old Hollywood shtick. And we're yeah. going to do, because we're going to have Zigfieldness, and we're going to have, we're going to have Busby Berkeley-ness, and we're going to have, we're going to pull out all the stuff yeah. uh, for the film. So Don is looking for Kathy. He can't find her. And then it ends up, she's working at his studio. Yeah. Um, and he... And this is what's really interesting. In most movies, most romantic movies, we're going to have love come together in Act Three. Right. Uh huh. This one hasn't happened. Kind of the end of Act One is that he takes her and he says, "I have something important to say to you, and I can't say it." And it's so interesting this level of artifice versus reality. Yeah. I can't say it uh, in the real world. I have to take you to the movie world. Yeah. And he takes her and puts thousands of watts on her and a wind machine. Oh, I love this number mm. so much. It, it's it, so just blatantly romantic and beautiful. <laughs> so we find Kathy Selden. She's going to come back. We're going to do a sound picture. Um, and then we get to watch the recording of sound. And I have to say that, that we have this sequence where we're, we're actually recording sound and it, oh, everything is going terrible. so funny. So great. And the first, the, the, the microphones are the plant and then we put it on her chest and we get her heartbeat and then it's on her side and sound is and in the pearls and, out, yeah. and the pearls and all these things are happening <laughs> and you watch the director getting more and more crazy hold it a second now lean look here's the mic right here in the bush yeah now you talk towards it the sound goes through the cable to the box a man records it on a big record in wax but you have to talk into the mic first. In the bush. I'll try it again. 
Gee, this is dumb. Oh, she'll get it, Dexter. Look, Lena, don't worry. We're all a little nervous the first day. Everything's going to be okay. Oh, by the way, Roscoe, you know the scene coming up where I say, Imperious Princess of the Night? I don't like those lines there. Is it all right if I just say what I always do? I, I love you, I love you, I love you. Sure, any way it's comfortable. But into the bush! Okay, again. Quiet! Roll them! That's what directing feels like. <laughs> a lot of the time. It's like I have to stay really calm. Everything's falling apart around me. I stay calm and we're just going to get through. It's going to be okay. Yeah, that's really what it feels like to be a director. By the way, that actor is an unsung hero of the film. Oh, he's, he's great. so great. Oh, yeah. Just so yes. great. <laughs> See it into the mic, into the bush. I don't care what you say. Just say it into the bush. It's so great. And, of course, one of the things we have to do in order to do a talkie picture is that our actors have to learn how to speak. Yeah. So on the one hand, we have Lena Lamont with her voice coach. <laughs> and I can't stand him. She's such a good voice. Yeah. And then with the guys... We get Moses Supposes. Oh, my gosh. This is such a terrific number. Yeah. And it it is um, one of two songs in the whole movie that were actually original to Singing in the right. Rain. It's uh-huh. not one of the trunk songs from previous shows. Um, it's a very... Um, and the other one's make, make Him Laugh, right? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Make Him Laugh, which is... Based it's pretty much on a uh, Cole Porter song, yeah, but, yeah. Then, but nobody they they deny that, but that's okay. Um, but Comden and Green again, they did such a fabulous job, and the the lyrics are so they're they're just the epitome of the Comden and Green uh, wordplay mm-hmm. that they love to do. Moses supposes his toes are roses, but Moses supposes erroneously. But Moses, he noses, his toes aren't roses, as Moses supposes his toes to be. Moses supposes his toes are roses, but Moses supposes erroneously. A Moses a Moses. A rose is a rose. A toes is a toes. Hoopty doody doodle. And what I love about this number, I, there's so many things I love about it, but um, the choreography really matches the lyrics as far as. Um, kind of the uh, the canon aspect of it because you get all these different rhythmic and syllabic matches in mm. the lyric and you get the same um, kind of call and response in the choreography as well, hmm. the way that... Um, Never thought about it. You're totally right. It. Yeah. yeah. It, it's brilliant. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing to watch. And it's ama- what, what's to me, it's like the textbook of you watch two guys dancing really tightly in sync with each other and yet they're different yes and that's so fascinating to watch is that they're doing exactly the same steps they're perfect spot on in sync Mm -hmm. and yet the the styles still come out and one of the things i'm fascinated with gene kelly and we talked about his athleticism we talked about that 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 sort of physicality he has is i'm kind of fascinated i'm curious what you think about this but with his upper body Mm -hmm. because his upper body no matter what he's doing remains solid and still in this way as if he's not really and maybe that's why he looks so effortless but it's just he has such control and such strength there that he can do all these things and yet it's like nothing's happening that that comes squarely from classical ballet training and um, he did study ballet yeah. extensively and loved ballet. Um, and that, that's really where that training comes from. Well, I'm sure we'll jump to it later, but in the Broadway melody right. ballet, mm. you see it uh, very clearly. He does this entrenant jump sequence where he's doing these big leaps in right. the air. And he just 
floats and you're like, oh my gosh, he's way up high in the air. Mm. But that's, that's really that training to have that center and that lifted quality. You, even though he does feel down and dirty and gritty and rough a lot of the time, he always has this, um, this energy Mm -hmm. right in his core that keeps it smooth. So he doesn't look like he's hurting or trying. Um, and that's really where the performance comes from. And as far as the two dancers being so in sync and yet feeling like they're different, those are two great actors. Right. And those differences are coming from a place of character. And there's a lot of young dancers out there, singers, musicians, actors, who think if I just do the steps right, if I just sing the right notes, if I just say the right lines, um, I'm doing great. Well, those things are the barrier to entry. Right, of course. (laughs) You have to do that. yeah, Yeah, you have to do that. So what's the difference? It's somebody that can bring their own life to it and mm-hmm. their point of view and these two guys do it effortlessly and I think you bring up a really good point this is a great example of it the degree of difficulty is off the charts and yet we still see two very different characters two very different people executing the same thing and they're having fun yes yes, yes. they're playing they look yeah. like they're having the best time yeah. <laughs> and there's no difference when you and this is a great point you bring up and there's no difference between watching two actors having a fantastic scene together verbally what you're watching in this musical number is two actors having a great scene with their feet with their bodies but there's a conversation going on 100%. with their dance and yeah. you can see it and as they dance around and then as they come together and when they're coming together and then when they're on the desk like all of it there's such joy but you're right, Steve. Each one has their style, and their style, they complement each other so well in this particular number so well, and you just enjoy it because of how much fun they're having because it's two pros at the end. And also, like, if you strip it all away, it's two dance pros in a studio, in a literally a dance right. studio, <laughs> having a great time, yeah. you know? Well, and the thing, like too, jazz. It's almost the, like jazz. The yeah. thing, too, that's interesting that just sort of occurred to me is we started with the artifice of the fake Don Lockwood mm-hmm. in Hollywood. And that's the guy that Kathy Selden uh, rejects. Mm-hmm. And, and he's full of it. And, now, and, and that's the guy who's prancing around with Lena Lamont in these silly yeah. silent films. This guy's dancing to Moses Supposes. That guy's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And that's what this movie is about is that, no, no, you have to be that guy. You have to be yourself because right. that guy is filled with joy and excitement and fun. And he's that's that's who we want to see. Not mm-hmm. the not the Lita Lamont guy. Right. That's false. And and really, in a lot of ways, this movie is all about getting past the false to the real, which is funny because it's a completely fo- not phony, but a completely silly uh, movie in its construction. It's mm-hmm. not a realistic movie in any way. No, but that's the real that is the real truth, because then even in the kind of show within a show story of making this movie, the change in the movie all comes about because Don figures out who, what he himself really has to bring. Yeah. And that is the song and dance man aspect. Yeah. Um, what, tell me about the, you had mentioned before something about, uh, the tapping, how they do the sound for the tapping. Well, yeah. Um, in making musicals, talking about how musicals are actually made, um, for musical numbers, the music itself, the songs, are normally pre-recorded. Right. Traditionally, yes. they're pre-recorded and then played back on set, and you would sing and dance along to the pre-recorded music. And this is really essential for sound syncing later on in the editorial process to make sure things match when you're doing multiple angles, multiple takes, all of that. Um, but with the dance, tap dancing is really one of the only forms of dance that sound is really essential. <laughs> right? <It's key. laughs> so... 
it would be almost impossible to record the sounds of the dance and then try to physically match the sounds on set. Right, so so the tap sounds are generally done in post-production in Foley. And you'll you if you look closely thinking about it, you'll see sequences like in the Moses Supposes, the guys are up dancing on the desk, right? They're right. tapping. Dick, 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 dick. And then they jump down on the floor and it's dick, 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 It's the exact same sound. Right. We're not hearing the desk sounds yeah. and then yeah, of course. <laughs> the floor sounds. Right. It's all a consistent sound. It's also a consistent sound level, no matter if we're in a tight shot or a wide shot. Right. You yeah. would think if you're farther away from You'd the camera, sound. you sure, would get right. a different sound. So they would boom the the tap sounds for sync. Um, but then, then later... Yeah, then later, wow. the God bless the sound editors, got to wow. <laughs> place all the tap sounds. But what, what they would do is... Um, they high had dance fully artists, mostly women who were tap dancers that were never credited in any of these movies. Wow, wow. And they would come in, you put down a board, you put mics in front of their feet. And just like you would do an ADR session as an actor, where you come in and match your own dialogue, they are there matching the choreography and the tap sounds. So they're doing tap fully. Tap fully. Yeah. Yes. Wow. And there were multiple people that did this. Men, many of the stars like Fred Astaire, would almost always do his own tap sounds, sure. his own tap dubbing. He had an assistant that was very close to him that would occasionally do it if there was a conflict mm. or he was, you know, unable to come. Um, Gene Kelly almost always did his own yeah. as well. Uh, I'm sure Donald O'Connor did his own because he's so great. Uh, it's it's reported that Gene Kelly also did Debbie Reynolds. So, oh, wow. yeah, so she was doing all the dancing and she's hitting all her taps, but right. to do that so specifically clean, well, especially copy, with three dancers mm -hmm. and well, to copy your taps from sound and visuals to match them. That's yeah, crazy that's a, a, we talked about degree of difficulty a little bit ago. This is <laughs> off the charts <laughs> as well. Um, so, but the, uh, another fun story is that in the singing in the rain number, if you think about it, if you're in tap shoes in water, you're not going to hear a clean click, 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 click. Yeah, yeah, no. And you <laughs> so, might slip and fall on your ass. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I don't know if it was because Gene Kelly was sick at the time or whatever. He actually didn't dub his own taps for that number. Mm. It was Carol Haney and Gwen Verdon. Oh, Gwen Verdon? Gwen yes. Verdon from uh, Fosse and... Yes, yes. Wow. And Grease? Exactly. Grease. <laughs> yes. yes. And Sweet Charity yeah, Sweet and Charity, all yeah. all of that. Yeah, and Carol Haney, who's also um, a phenomenal Broadway dancer, who um, both of them assisted Jack Cole, who was like the father of American theater, jazz, mm. and dance. Um, and they both had assisted Gene Kelly at different times. Wow. And so they dubbed those steps. And um, the, the story goes that they had to do it in a tub of water because wow. it was matching, but it was just really, really, really shallow. Clean. So they were still getting the splish splash sounds, but yeah. still the consistent tap sounds. Again, you go back and you watch the number. The tap sounds are consistent, even if he's on the sure. sidewalk, in the puddle, on right. a lamp. You know? <laughs> That's crazy. Um, which brings us, of course, to the world premiere of the Dueling Cavalier, <laughs> our, our uh, silent film epic. <laughs> and it is awesome. Yeah. The thunderstorm outside? It's those pearls, Mr. Simpson. I am the noblest lady of the 
court, second only to the queen. Yet I am the saddest of mortals in France. Why, what is the matter, Louise? I'm so downhearted, Teresa. My father has me betrothed to the Baron de Lansfield, and I can't stand him. Oh, Sounds good and loud, huh? Microphone was boss. Uh, I, have, I have empathy for sound designers everywhere watching. This. Oh yeah, <laughs> and that is real. Like everything that happens, oh, yeah. the yeah. loud pearls and the the breathing and all. If you listen to straight sound, particularly poorly recorded, yeah, it sounds like that. Yeah. That's why we have. Or to actors have... that don't know what they're doing and they're yeah. setting down books on their line. And... Yeah. <laughs> oh god. As a voiceover guy doing auditions, you're so paranoid about every little sound yeah. when you're listening back to your own auditions before you send them in so that's just seeing that sequence again was like giving me hives because you're just like <laughs> oh that'd be the worst thing in the world you hear something oh my god why didn't i hear that when i was recording and you you hear that now when you play it back you're like how did that get in there i gotta start all over again so yeah you see things like that it just made well insane. and, and, and I, I have this happen <laughs> with my film students when they're looking at their films oh, and yeah. i'm listening to them i'm like you're in deep trouble here. And they, go, and they go, what? What's wrong? And like, because they're not hearing it because it takes a right. while. Yeah. Because they're focused on other things. They right. say, close your eyes and listen. <laughs> so they have a disastrous, a disastrous premiere. Yeah. People are walking out of the movie. They feel their careers are ruined. And in this, there's a moment where the sound goes out of sync uh, in which uh, Don's voice comes, or this guy's voice comes out of Leading Lamont's yeah. uh, oh, mouth. it's so funny. And it's really funny. And this is going to become important later. We go back to Don's ridiculously huge mansion. Yes. Know, right? <laughs> apparently has Chateau. couches like lined up yeah. all over. Um, and he is really depressed and he, he feels that he's been exposed for exactly the phony Kathy said he was. They're really depressed. And then we come up with the brilliant idea, which I think makes no sense whatsoever, but they come up with the brilliant idea of let's turn that movie into a musical. Yes. Why don't you? What? Make a musical. A musical? Sure. Make a musical. The new Don Lockwood. He yodels. He jumps about to music. Oh, the only trouble is that after they released Dueling Cavalier, nobody had come to see me jump off the Woolworth building into a damp rag. Well, why don't you turn the Dueling Cavalier into a musical? Dueling Cavalier? Sure. They've got six weeks before it's released. Yeah. Add some songs and dances, trim the bad scenes, add a couple of new ones. Then you got it. Hey. Hey, I think it'll work. Of course. It's a you know, it may be crazy, but we're going to do it. The Dueling Cavalier is now a musical. And they go, perfect. We'll just add some song and dance scenes because that's easy enough to do. Sure. And we'll just take a couple of months <laughs> and then we'll have a musical. We'll be a big hit and we sing Good Morning. Yeah. I feel this is my lucky day, March 23rd. Come on, now, your lucky day is the 24th. What do you mean the 24th? It's 1.30 already. It's morning. Yes. And what a lovely morning. Good morning. Good morning. We've talked the whole night through. Good morning. Good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning. It's great to stay up late. Good morning. Good morning to you. When the band began to play, the stars were shining bright. Now the milkman's on his way. It's too late to say good night. So good morning. Good morning. Sunbeams will soon smile through. Good morning, good morning to you and you and 
which is one of the greatest threesomes you'll ever see on screen doing any kind of dance. And she is so good in she's this. She's just sequence. delightful. Yeah, in it. she and, is, and, she's and at the center of it. anchoring. Yeah, so yeah. I'm she anchors the whole uh, piece from the whole this the soft dancing in the dress. And by the way, the costume fantastic. What they're wearing perfectly fits yes. for what they're doing, and lets her flow easily through what she's doing in the different uh, changes and the way they play with the raincoats and the different variations of the different dances that they yeah. throw in there. All of it exactly. is old Hollywood. All of it is there. Well, and also the and so big long fun. tracking shot that yes, takes them from right. room to room to room yep. and uh, it just captures the element of play. Yeah. And well, I, I find that throughout this movie that there's so much joy, as you say, but there's so much playfulness too and mm. and playing off of one another and this this whole sequence really highlights that. Well, this is the, I'm so glad you said it. I was going to say exactly the same thing because I had this theater teacher who, when we got really depressed with our bad plays or whatever, he said, it's called a play for a reason. Right. Mm. Is that <laughs> it's supposed to be play. And this scene, I mean, so is Moses. So there's so much play in this movie. And this is where they bring up the raincoats and all the things mm. they do is like they're having fun. And of course, we know that... Uh, Debbie Reynolds' feet had to bleed mm. to have this much fun. Mm-hmm. Like that, and that's this combination that I'm kind of fascinated by with Singing in the Rain because everything I've heard about Gene Kelly, he worked hard. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was a taskmaster. He was a perfectionist. Yeah. It doesn't sound like he was mean or abusive, but he was like, we're going to get this exactly right. So yeah. to create this show of joy and play and laughter... We're going to put in hour after hour and after hour of serious hard work and sweat. Well, and that is truly when you really can have fun, when you're Mm. not thinking anymore, when you've rehearsed so much that the steps are ingrained in your body um, and you don't have to worry about what comes next or or am I in, in line or am I hitting my mark? You really can have that much joy if you're that prepared. And I think think it's essential you know they yeah. could not have pulled off what they pulled off in this movie without working that hard yeah and it comes through especially in a number like this because you even as a, a person who just has no uh, dance experience or no dance knowledge you watch what they're doing and you're amazed uh, at the sequence amazed at the movements amazed at the at the at the speed of it uh, and how it changes, how the styles mm-hmm. change throughout the whole mm-hmm. sequence and underlying it all is this belief that yes Things can be better. Yes, there's an option. There's a possibility. Even in the darkest of nights, mm-hmm. when the rain is there, when everything says you're not going to make it, there's that one friend who's like, no, no, if we do this and this and this, we can save it. And it's that old Hollywood gumption yeah. thing, which I love. Well, and they're know? having so much fun. You feel like you want to jump in there and do it yes, with them. of course. Yes. Like, ah, Absolutely. I'll get up there. I'll, I'll stand on the stool. <laughs> Well, that's how they manipulate poor little children into being tortured for years and years <laughs> in order to become dancers. It's because it looks like so yeah. much fun. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> I was thinking about something that I wanted to ask both of you. What do you think of Gene Kelly's voice? Well, he has a, a lovely voice. It's not a traditionally um, great singing voice. I mean, he's not John Raitt or somebody mm-hmm. like that, or even Frank Sinatra, but... I think he's such a good actor and he's so connected. His voice is so connected to him and his performance and his body. You totally buy it. I love his voice. It's, I have all the, all his songs and I, because once again, it's that connection of, it's not, it's not a high end voice. It's not a highfalutin voice. He is a man. This is how a man would sing. He's masculine. And this is how a masculine man would sing. And this is what I feel when I listen to him. So I like his voice a lot. And if you, Go as I've said before. Go find on the town. 
That's Main Street is one of the most beautiful songs that you'll ever hear him sing mm-hmm. and takes full advantage of what he can do with his voice. You know, the, the talk singing that works for his type of, it just is mm-hmm. so beautifully done in Main Street. And here, and in, in Singing in the Rain, the same thing. There's a reason that song is so iconic. It's not because he's got this amazing voice. It's because it's a voice that fits and there's a joy and purity, organic yeah. purity to it that you gravitate to and love. Well, and I think to me, because I totally agree, is it, I think to me he's honest. Yeah, yeah that's, very that's much. who he is. Mm-hmm. That's who he is. Yep. And so, and and, and it's not bad. He has training. I mean, yeah. he's not. Oh, he's just on pruning keys. away yeah. and kind of marginally singing. No, he's doing a really good job. He's being, but he's being authentic to who he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, and it goes back to sort of well, what are we going to see a movie for? And sometimes you, it's not for the things. That, it's not for the perfect perfection. Is not actually what we generally want, right. or it's hard to describe. Authenticity is what we want. But he is, he is who he is. Mm-hmm. And so let's talk about Singing in the Rain. Now, this is his most famous number of all time. Yeah. It is one of the most beloved numbers of all time. It's not the most difficult number. By the way, I think it's well-known sort of Hollywood lore that he had 103 uh, fever when he did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it. Shot day for night, so they have big black tarps over the top. Mm-hmm. They have pipes over the top. This is on the MGM back lot, so it's mm-hmm. really shot outside. It's shot it over two or three days. I had to dig little holes in the street to make puddles. Yeah. <laughs> and, and apparently people uh, had trouble running their water in Culver City for the, <laughs> while they were shooting. They're using so much water. Right. And also, they couldn't understand why the suit was shrink. It was wool. Yeah. So the suit would shrink. So they weren't able, so they had to finally figure out what type of material to use because the suits kept shrinking through the number. (laughs) So they had to make that change as well. So there was so much involved in creating this amazing masterpiece. And like you said, Steve, earlier, like there's all this work to get what looks effortless and beautiful on screen. There's all this extra work behind the scenes. Well, I think one of the many reasons why this is such an iconic number and why he's so remembered for this is that it plays directly into his MO as a choreographer. Mm. He, um, you know, while he was classically trained in all kinds of dance styles, has impeccable technique, he really didn't want to be bound to choreography or established steps. He wasn't interested in creating um, pieces that were just this step, now this step, then this step. He he wanted to find things that were true to the moment, to the mood, and to the character. Mm -hmm. And he, he... he does moves in this number that are just stomping around, right, yeah. but that's just what we splashing. all did. Yeah. That's what we all did when we were kids. Mm-hmm. It's for some of us, maybe still our temptation <laughs> when yeah, it's a nice warm sure. day and it's raining and, but you're an adult, you're not going to go splashing in the puddles. Right. Um, I, 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 I do. <laughs> that's why I wear these big boots. They're waterproof. I <laughs> I'm, gl- I'm glad to hear it, Steve. Uh, but he gave himself permission to really just find the truth of the moment and do whatever came out of him right. and not be constrained by style or or technique. And this number is just such a beautiful example of it. And I think that's why people really relate to it. They could see themselves up there doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to that word play. Yeah. You know, it's play. And there's there's just little moments of of him going towards the water spout and not and yes and then going full under it or stomping into the full stomp yes yeah. and, and the, then getting caught by and the getting cop caught, and, yeah. <laughs> and the shrug and then even the little dainty way he pulls his feet and shakes his feet to get the little drops off mm-hmm. when he's completely soaked it's just yeah. it makes you smile mm-hmm. yeah you know and, and there are all sorts of emotions that films can do I don't know that anything that makes me like oh I'm happy this is and this is what I, I want to say about that piece two things the undercurrent of it is love 
This yeah. is how sometimes you can feel love. This kind of joyful purity of finding someone that you care about so much and the joy of it beginning, right? That's what he's doing when he's mm -hmm. dancing all around. She's helped him solve this huge problem that he thought his career was over. She showed him that it's not. She's with him. She's by his side. And he is finally fully in love with her and that is conveyed in the dance. The dance is joyful but it's joyful because he's in love. Absolutely. And, oh, 100%. And, and that's mm -hmm. why he reverts. One of the greatest things I ever read from a therapist was like when you fall in love you go back to being a child and what you <laughs> wanted as a child what you what, how you describe love yeah. as a child and what he's doing is childlike the stomping the pushing of the water, the putting the... And I love the camera work. There's a second thing I want to say. The camera work in this, when it goes wide, when it gets close up, when it goes above him as the yeah. water is pouring on oh, his yeah. face, there's a smile on my... All of it jumping on the lamppost. All of it is childlike in its joy because he's going back to being in love. There's no walls here. There's no Don Lockwood fakeness. This is him finally finding someone that he can be in love yeah. with and expressing it so purely in dance. You know? Completely. Mm -hmm. I want to just, something you mentioned about the camera work is that, is that we talked a little bit, um, oh, we talked about it when we talked about Bruce Lee, I think, yeah. is the idea of, you know, with Fred Astaire, he wanted the camera to be top to bottom. Yeah. Uh, Jackie Chan wants the same thing, which is yeah. why I guess I connect martial arts and dance, <laughs> is that, but the goal is, I want you to see everything that I'm doing. You can't just, if you just see waist up, you miss all sorts of stuff. You say feet down, you miss what my hands are doing. So, uh, and Gene Kelly did the same thing, but he was much more sophisticated in the way that he used the camera, is that the camera's moving and dancing with, it's showing everything, but it's also moving and dancing with the actors, which makes it more dynamic than what you had seen before he came yeah. along. And we should mention at this point too, that he has a co-director, which is Stanley Donnan. Um, yeah. And yeah. <laughs> uh, who also is on on the town, and yeah. uh, who he brought up, Gene made him, him. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And, and 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 it makes sense because when you're on camera, you can't really know mm -hmm. unless you're looking and watching the scene. You can't really know what's going on, and mm -hmm. I think Gene. And it sounds like they had a. Uh, very contentious a contentious but they, they obviously constructive mm -hmm. uh, relationship yeah. making the film well you need that person and it it can't just be in a musical with so much detailed and specific choreography and specific camera work you can't leave it to your AD to say no. yeah I got you got it or, or whatever you need somebody that speaks both the language of dance and the language of film right. and Donnan was really that for Kelly and from from what I know, um, Stanley Donnan also had great ideas mm -hmm. that, you know, he wasn't necessarily the driving force, but he, when he went on to do things on his own, he was very successful. That's the thing you could argue is Donnan was the more successful, successful director than Gene Kelly overall, because he does go on and do other right. great films. I mean, Kelly you look Fault at the, the barn raising sequence yeah. in oh. Seven Brides for Seven Ooh, Brothers. Sure. That is genius. Yes. That is beautifully. I mm -hmm. mean, Stanley didn't choreographed that but he shot it he staged right. it and um michael kidd did it, that yeah. exactly yeah. so you can't say he didn't bring anything to the table right. for right. sure well and we can never know i mean that's the right. thing about collaborations is yeah we can't know mm -hmm. we can look at what they go on to do separately but there's a reason kelly brings don and into on the town because he sees that's the thing yeah. although they broke up over singing in the rain he sees the talent that Donnan has, and which is sure. why he trusts him to be his second set of eyes on On the Town and, and, and when they do Singing in the Rain. But Donnan also 
is discovering his own power, his own knowledge, his own... So at that point, when the break happens, it's because they both kind of... He created this entity. He has embraced his own entity, and now he's going off to do his own thing. And they can no longer collaborate because they're too powerful. Well, in a lot of ways, that's a natural progression with a mentor and mentee. Absolutely. There comes a point where... You got to move on. You got to assert yourself and start to find your own voice and your own vision apart from the person you've worked most closely with. Mm -hmm. So we're almost at the finale, but now I have to bring up one thing that I didn't know until this last time watching it. And I'm just shocked that I never knew this, which is I never knew that's Rita Moreno playing Zelda. Oh, yes. And her stuff got cut. She was supposed to have a big number and everything. Totally cut. I got one more for you. Yeah. At the beginning of the movie, the fan that faints is Leslie Caron. I knew I recognized her, and I really? couldn't figure it's it out. Like That's amazing. Is Gene had found her, and they had a. And she, he brought her over and wanted her to have this small part, <laughs> and then did this did the faint. And that's Leslie Caron. That's, that's great. hilarious. Yeah. That's great. Wow. Um, so we've reached. So we've come up with our plan. We're going to do a musical, and Kathy is going to sing and be Lena's voice. And it's, I love the pitch because I'm picturing the dueling cavalier. And then they're saying we're going to have these song and dance numbers, and it's Young Hofer. And then we see, and I'm just going, okay, how could this possibly? This is, this is the silliest thing I've ever heard. But we go to uh, our big final dance number, which mm-hmm. is Broadway Melody, uh, which originally was going to be small. Mm-hmm. It was going to be a small dance number. Mm-hmm. And then because of the sex- success of American in Paris, they go, we need to have it got bigger and bigger and bigger until it's this huge number. Yeah. Uh, and it's really fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Not my favorite in the film. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. it's hard to pick favorites. Mm-hmm. My favorites yeah. are the ones we've already talked about. Yeah. But Broadway Melody is great. Well, there's there's so many inventive things about it, oh, yeah. um, both uh, stylistically, yeah. visually, choreographically, all coming together to tell this kind of odd little story. Yeah, um, that has nothing to do with anything. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I have no idea how that fits into Dueling Cavaliers no, at right, all. But right. you know, I don't care. What's the gangster mall <laughs> doing in there? What's yeah. the old Sid Cherise? Yeah. Sequence. Yeah. You're like, what was this all about? I, I just have to take two seconds for Sid Charisse because she is. Take, maybe, take ten. She uh, deserves I, it. I, yeah, <laughs> she is maybe one of my greatest dancing idols. She is, mm. or like I mentioned when we started the podcast, I um I'm a very tall, curvy brunette who <laughs> wanted to be a classical ballerina, um and Sid Charisse um she danced with the Ballet Russe de Monte Carlo when wow. started when she was 14. She had a professional career. Mm-hmm as a ballerina um, up until World War II began and the company disbanded because Mm. of the war. Mm -hmm. So that's when she came to Hollywood. And, um, you know, her her style and her technique, the the ballet training comes through, but it's... you still always believe her in whatever she's doing yeah. and the, the vampiness, the seductress part. I mean, she just, she does it like falling off a log. Right. <laughs> well, and all the character that comes through in her performance is huge. Oh yeah. yeah. yeah I mean, the second you lay eyes on her, you know exactly who she is. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know that Don Lockwood or whoever, whoever we're going to call is. him yeah. in this dance montage, the, the dancing cavalier, he's yeah. met his match and then some, yeah. um, and, uh, 
there's a funny tidbit that's well known about Sid Therese is that she had an insurance policy as the most expensive legs because um, I think it was Lloyd's of London insured her legs for $5 million. Surprise. <laughs> Not worth every penny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he used her a few, he, I mean, he worked with her, sorry, he worked with her a few times, you know, because Brigadoon, Brigadoon mm-hmm. and then also in uh, uh, It's Always Fair Weather, which is mm-hmm. one of these really dark musicals. It's really dark. Nobody yeah. talks well, about. And Bandwagon. And Bandwagon, this, yes, this exactly. huge sequence with her that's mm-hmm. really dark. Yeah. Um, so in, in, and she was, champions. and an, another fun tidbit is that, um, she's five, seven. Yeah. She's taller than Gene Kelly. Yes. And he choreographed specifically to hide this fact. <laughs> God bless the male ego. Um, <laughs> but he, he has, if you, if you notice when you go back and watch all of her stuff in this, she's always hinged at the hip. She's right. deep. Her mm-hmm. legs are bent. She's in, she's slinking around. It's a character choice. Yeah. But it's, but, also, but it's also another right. choice as well. And he d- uses all these levels with her. He puts mm-hmm. her on the floor three different times. Right. You don't you don't really see that in dance. It's a very modern dance, modern ballet sensibility, but mm-hmm. he's incorporating it into this sequence. And I think well, it works beautifully. Well, that's as you said before, Gene Kelly isn't bound by technique. He, exactly. He's happy to take from whatever is necessary to make this happen. Or invent his own. Or invent yeah. his own thing. And um, there's, you know, there's two main sequences of dance with her. She's in the green dress in the club. Right. And mm-hmm. then there's this, this, yeah, um, the, white, yeah. the, the, the white sequence where it's with in his veil. imagination. Mm-hmm. And he does another fun thing in that sequence, which is to put her up on stairs. Yes. Yeah. So they are not even dancing on the same level. They do meet, but when they meet, she's falling into his arms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, and dancing, I mean, that, you know, that veil. Oh, my God. It is so crazy. It's like 60 feet long or something crazy like that. And they have huge, huge wind machines going all the time. And the wind machines are angled at different places, and they're turning them up and down to get the veil to do at what angle they want it to do. Really hard. And, uh, you know, what Sid Cherie said, you know, she's wearing a sail, essentially. And sometimes, like, trying to dance into the wind with this giant sail on her back, it knocks her over, over and over again. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I I so wish there was B-roll footage of this whole thing. right? (laughs) Because you know that thing tied them up. Oh, my God. What a nightmare. I mean, I've done done my share of props dancing, and they're... There are there are times when you just are at your wit's end trying to deal with this damn prop, much right. less do the choreography, right. make it look effortless, be in the moment as the actor. Yeah. I just can't imagine what it was like to film that. Well, it, it, just on this for a moment, even the simplest prop in a movie is hard. Yeah. Like if you like, I spent you know having I wanted blood to drop in drip into a sink when a guy is like washing his face. And getting the blood to drip in just the right place, oh. you do it like thirty times. You know, yeah. no, no, that was right. Clean the blood up. You know, like oh, you know, you have you see all sorts of times where you know um, a coin falls into frame or something falls into frame or some glasses yeah. or something. Twenty, thirty takes. Yeah, you know, like it's really, really hard. And I imagine that where people are moving and running, and there's wind and twisting and all the. It's impossible. Mm-hmm. And Sid Charisse had just had birth. She just had a baby, like right before this. Wow. So she had to work off all the weight and then be doing this scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a great sequence. And again, we get that joy of Gotta Dance, mm-hmm. which is just yeah. so much fun. Well, and the camera work, too, mm-hmm. in this whole sequence. And we, we talked a little bit of camera work in some of the other numbers, but overall, um, he and Stanley Donnan, however the, uh, the duties fall, yeah. we will never know. Um, they did a lot of great work uh, creating different sizes of shots with the camera movement. So right. you're not 
going from a wide cutting into the medium or cutting into a close when the camera's moving you don't feel like you've missed anything yeah and that right. was really important to gene kelly um and then also all these axis shifts you know the all of a sudden we're we're watching looking one direction then all of a sudden whoop the camera switches 90 degrees and we we feel like we're in a whole other place but we're really just in another corner of the room yeah. right and so you've got people coming from one side to the other and it's very cinematic choreography in that way it's choreography that wouldn't work on a stage on a mm -hmm. proscenium it's really specific to the medium and so i i really appreciate that as as a dancer and a choreographer as well yeah yeah the the whole sequence broadway melody sequence is so weird because it is a it's a scene within a movie it's a movie within a movie mm. uh within a movie that they haven't <laughs> shot yet yeah because they haven't pitching. even done it they're pitching the idea <laughs> yeah. of the thing they're going to do where we have within that scene a guy meet a girl and then we have his fantasy and so we have a fantasy yeah. Yeah. within a scene within a movie that we haven't made that's within a movie that has nothing to do with our main characters yeah. Kathy and Don right it is com and it's a really long sequence and yet we're totally engrossed totally engrossed mm -hmm. and this and again I love pointing this out as I teach my students all sorts of rules of what you're supposed to do in film and over and over again there are these great movies that go nope you don't have to yeah. do that. <laughs> because the real secret is if it's good you could do it yeah. Yeah. Yep. If, if, if the audience is on board, God bless. You could do whatever. Yeah. You could take them once you got them. You could take them wherever you want. Yeah. yeah. And Gene Kelly can take you a lot of places. Yes. When he's dancing, I'll go. Okay. Yeah, I'm pretty yeah. much good to go with that. Yeah. So we're making the dancing cavalier, and the whole idea is that we're dubbing Kathy Selden's voice for Lena Lamont. Yeah, but the crazy thing is when we hear the playback of Lena Lamont's now overdubbed voice, supposed to be Kathy Selden. It's actually the actress, Jean Hagen. It's just her normal voice. Yeah. The actress playing Lena oh, Lamont. Really? <laughs> it's just her. <laughs> She's doing an affected voice as the Lena Lamont character, right. but then they just use her voice. I, I wonder why they, why do you think they did Why did they do that? I don't really know because we obviously know what Debbie Reynolds sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> and yet apparently so, we don't because I never knew that. Yeah. yeah. And then, and the same thing for the singing as well. When we hear the playback of the new voice of Lena Lamont, that's not Debbie Reynolds either. It's another studio singer. Wow. Um, and I, I regretfully don't remember the name of the singer that's, mm -hmm. that's doing it. And I'm not sure why they chose to do that because, again, we clearly know what Debbie Reynolds sounds like singing. Yeah. <laughs> Except, again, we clearly don't because I never knew that. Wow. Maybe they're trying you know, to so sell it to us as the more affected voice sure. of mm -hmm. the... Well, the movie or well, the other thing that reminds me is like, well, this is the studio system. And today, if a studio is making a movie, a team is hired to make that movie for the studio. Right. In the days of the studio system, they were all there. And they went from movie to movie. And so, like, for instance, what happened with this film is whoever was necessary to bring in for that moment, they brought that person in. Like, mm -hmm. one of them is that it's a different arranger for Moses Supposes than it is the arranger for good morning mm. because they they went oh this guy's better for this kind of song and 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 because they're making so many movies like like mgm made more than two movies coming out a week mm -hmm. which is wow. more movies than all of hollywood makes now and so they're constantly it's like a factory mm -hmm. and all these people are going from movies to movies and this is one of the reasons it's hard to make musicals today because we don't know how yeah they had mm -hmm. teams of people to make musicals so they bring in another voice because they go oh, let's use this voice because mm -hmm. everyone's being paid everyone's on contract yeah yeah 
By the way, RF is like the worst studio head ever in the history of mankind. I mean, can we can we just like take a moment for that? Just 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 flowing to whatever works, whatever goes around, whatever goes like it, he's constantly in these situations. You're like, well, I don't even know who would make this decision, and like he's always hiding stuff from other people. You know those kinds mm-hmm. of things. So it's just so fun. Well, he's always just standing up for something and then completely yeah, in the next yeah, second. Right? Like, yeah, so not what a studio head would do at all. But, um, yeah, which brings doesn't. us to because at the last moment. Kathy uh, or, or Lena Lamont says, you know what? Kathy's got to continue to do my voice yep. and yeah. we can't let this out and you can't let her be a star. Mm-hmm. And we have our big premiere and things look pretty bad and the movie's a big hit and they and and Lena wants to go and she goes, Kathy, you're going to keep doing this for me. And Lena wants to go out and talk and they go, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, I can't tell you how thrilled we are at your reception for the Dancing Cavalier, our first musical picture together. Bless you all. She didn't sound that way in the picture. Cut the talk. Lena, sing. <laughs> but it's a great circle, right? Because yeah. at the beginning, the they three of them are telling talk. her not to talk. Don't you talk. know, the publicity's guy like, no, they want to love their stars, blah, blah, blah. And then she turns it around and goes, okay, if you're going to yeah. play this game, here's my contract, and mm-hmm. she's got to stay being my voice, which almost works. Almost. Almost. Yeah. And then they want her to sing. Yeah. And then, and this moment is really mean. Yes. Yeah, it's pretty Which, cruel, isn't right? it? <laughs> you got to do it, Kathy. This thing is too big. Of course she's got to do it. She's got a five-year contract with me. Get over to that microphone, Selden. You heard of Kathy. Now do it. I'll do it, Don. I'll do it. But I never want to see you again, on or off the screen. And it's so horrible. Yeah, sorry. Mm-hmm. And it's just this unbelievable. And to the point where I, did, I adore the movie. But I'm kind of like, you know what? Not cool. Yeah, that is not. That's not. I understand you're going to have the reveal in the next moment, uh, which they do because Debbie Reynolds mm-hmm. goes behind the curtain, Lena Lamont in front of the curtain. Lena Lamont starts singing "Singing in the Rain" with yeah. Debbie Reynolds and lip syncs to Debbie Reynolds in the background. And then in this really funny, joyful moment, Cosmo, RF, and Gene Kelly pull up the curtain, revealing yeah. the truth. Yep. Yes. Well, and this is a good question. Why didn't he tell her? Do you think he didn't tell her because she wouldn't have agreed to be this cruel to her? Or do you think he didn't tell her because he he she he he just didn't want to tell her like he was he was uh, like he had his own plan and screw what she was going to feel. I I, I think uh, you want to know my reason why. Sure, he didn't well, I asked yeah because the movie is more dramatic if you don't tell her. Uh, I guess yeah that's a good point. <laughs> that's that, that Cause, that's cause, why you don't. Well, tell also her. there was no time to convince. There's no time to convince. The, yeah. the crowd is out there screaming. Yeah. The, the diva is sure. walking on the stage. This is happening, and you know the the three guys they've somehow read each other's minds to collude into this mm-hmm. is going to be the solution. And so, and, and I love Debbie Reynolds in tears. I don't love Debbie Reynolds in tears, right, right. but I love oh, yeah. her running out into the audience. Yeah. And I love stop that girl. Yeah. yeah. That's the girl, the voice you fell in love with. And that's when I start to cry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it, it's so good. Yeah. Yeah. So Milena. Yes. Final thoughts on singing in the rain, man, singing in the rain just makes me love being a dancer. And makes me want to dance more, even though I don't dance that often anymore. <laughs> it's It just connects to the joy of performing and the joy that sparks singing and dancing when it's really coming from a true, authentic place. Um, it can be the most transformative of performance, performance experience. And I think Singing in the Rain is just the epitome of that. 
Yeah, absolutely. John, yeah. what about you? Well, it's one of my favorite musicals ever, and it's Gene Kelly, a top form, and of course, a young Debbie Reynolds. Kathy Selden was my first crush as a as a, yeah. as a, yeah, as a child. <laughs> it's good taste. Yeah, and it's well like it's probably, I've been looking for that girl ever since. You know, the sweet, sarcastic speaks her speaks her mind, but is very is but willing to stand by you in your darkest times. So she she's so great in the film, and Debbie's so, just such so radiant, and Donald O'Connor. There's just so many factors in the film that make it so great. But the number one thing to me is. For me, I fell in love with film by watching older films. Right. And this is a love letter to those older films. Yeah. As subversive as it is at times to make fun of the studio system, it doesn't make fun of the studio musicals. It, that you see how difficult these are to do, what's involved with the transition, all this. It's talking on a serious subject matter, like you said, Steve, this idea of like transitioning from silent to talkie. Who's going to lose their career? Who's not going to lose their career? How difficult it, how difficult it was, but it shows you in the, especially in the Broadway dance melody, the broad, you see that's their homage to those musicals, and right. those are the musicals that are the foundation for Singing in the Rain, for American in Paris, for what have you, for all the Fred Astaire, for, like all that stuff was there to get people's appetite in, in wet for musical movies and keep it going even to now with La La Land which is a musical in essence and so it's always going to be there but those Busby Berkeley movies at the beginning of the studio system are the ones that lay the groundwork for all the musicals to come and I think Singing in the Rain does a great job as a love letter to those kind of films yeah absolutely agreed Um, I was was thinking about this quite a bit if these episodes go out in the order that I think they will the one that went out last week was No Country for Old Men right Coen Brothers film Great film, powerful, dark, won the best picture. And and that's the kind of movie that Hollywood says that's a great film. Yeah. You know, like with serious drama, bleak, tells you that life is essentially meaningless and dark. <laughs> and, and and that is a great film. Yes. And, and should get that respect. Mm-hmm. But there's a reason it's called show business. There's a reason that it's called a play. And as we talked about with bleeding feet and sweat and all the hard work is it's just as hard to give us joy as to give us bleakness Amen. you know and that and 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 you know what it's 2017 now and 2016 was really hard (laughs) and we need this kind of movie yeah you know and i'm not saying we don't have serious movies i love serious movies i'm not saying film can't tell us important things about life that it can't challenge us it can't make us a better people but it can also make you smile yeah. And there's there's nothing more valuable than sitting down for a couple of hours and getting to smile a little bit mm-hmm. and feeling joy and feeling hope, you know? And, then, and you're, it's a great point, Steve, because that's the double-sided coin of film. It is there to make you think and to change your views on the world. But on the same, on the flip side, it's there to help you escape the world when it gets too tough. Absolutely. And Singing in the Rain does that. Yeah. And I, I would argue that some, in some cases, it's harder to have a joyful performance mm-hmm. than a more dark and dramatic performance. Yeah. It's easy to, to look at someone kind of putting on the smile. Absolutely. And you just go, ugh. Yeah, right. You know, you have that saccharine taste in your mm-hmm. mouth from it. But when it's being really, really, truly well done and authentically done, it's so inspiring. Yeah, uh, absolutely. No question about it.
Well, we would like to hear what you think about Singing in the Rain. We hope you watch it. If you haven't seen it, watch it. Get your family together. Get some friends who haven't seen it before and sit down and watch it. And I, it's great for kids, too. Yes. Absolutely. If you have kids, sit them down and watch it. And maybe they'll get that same little spark in their eye. Maybe they'll want to go, I want to go dance. Right. And then they can have the bleeding feet and all the pain. And, <laughs> and, too. and it, you know what? And it'll be worth it. Yes. Um, um, and we'd love to hear what you think. So please, you can visit us on Facebook. That's The Cinephiles. at C-I-N-E dash F-I-L-E-S. But if you want to subscribe to us on Stitcher, you cannot use the dash because Stitcher doesn't like dashes. <laughs> it's two words, C-I-N-E, no dash, files, F-I-L-E-S. Please search for us there. If you want to reach me, you can reach me at S.R. Morris on Twitter. John, where can they reach you? You can always reach me at The Roca Says, R-O-C-H-A. See all the shows I'm hosting and co-hosting and all the stuff I do all around town. And then also please leave us comments on iTunes. Please, 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 please. Some of you who have listened to the Top 10 show, you guys did such a great job doing that for us. Do it for the cinephiles, please. We really need it. Want to move up the chain. You guys have expressed so much joy at what we've been doing. And I think you can tell we're getting really, really tight doing this show. And so we want to get some feedback from you all so that we can keep going with this and possibly get sponsors and possibly get this thing like really subsidized. I concur. Milena, <laughs> if people want to reach you, is there a way for them to find you? You can find me on all the socials at Milena Govich, M-I-L-E-N-A-G-O-V-I-C-H. Excellent. And you should reach out to her and follow all the exciting things she's doing. There's a lot yes, of exciting news coming. <laughs> and uh, Melina, thank you so much thank for coming. Thank you for having it's me. It's so this, great having this you. This has been so much fun. It's been great for us too. Yep. And that's it for this week. We will see you next time on The Cinephiles. Cinephiles.